Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. So we're in a chapter where we're talking, the name of the chapter is quite long. It's a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. So there's a lot of greats happening there. But we're in the section where we're talking about the great commandment, which is where Jesus gives us two uh, essential commandments that lead us into human flourishing. And the first one is to love God with, our, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I spoke about that a few weeks ago. And the other one is to love your neighbor. And so we're talking about loving your neighbor. Last week, I talked about five relationships you need. These are essential for you to thrive in life. Five relationships. It's a very pra- this is a very practical section of this chapter. And I love it because it gives you something that you can leave here and do. It gives you something very clear. Here's what I need. So the illustration I used for that was the idea of being planted somewhere. And so I brought a literal shrub from my front garden right here. Um, uh, and, and it was my prop. And we talked about the importance. So often we want results out of our lives and we try it through effort. We try it through sometimes um, sheer willpower of trying to create change or impact through our lives when uh, oftentimes we, we actually neglect the soil that we're planted in. And the soil has more to do with your fruitfulness than your own willpower. Willpower is important. I'm actually going to read a verse that, that, that shows that a bit. But the question from last week is this, and this is, if if you haven't heard last week, I really want to encourage you to go back because these messages build on one another. But it is this idea, where are you planted? You're planted somewhere. The roots of your life are receiving nutrients from something. What's the quality of the place you're planted? You You need to analyze that. And the fruit of our lives, the things we wish we had in our lives, the the life I wish I lived, sometimes even my thought life or my emotional life, is oftentimes a result of the place I'm planted, not just my abilities or my willpower, my discipline. And so it's, it's drastically important where you're planted. And I talked about five relationships that are, as, that are essential for your life. And that, that's how you, you create that soil around you. So today, I'm going to kind of continue that metaphor of being planted somewhere. I'm going to talk about relational nutrients. Now, I, want, I just want to make a note of something. If you were a part of our 930 um, prayer this morning, can I just see your hand um, yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you for being a part of that. If, if you weren't, we prayed for Ukraine this morning. And um, I was going to lead us all in, in some prayer for Ukraine, but uh, for time's sake, I, I'll leave that to our 930 space and, and to, your, to kind of your, your life at home as well. So Pete Craig, 24-7 prayer, did an incredible prayer that we reposted uh, on our ramp account. So I just encourage you to be, continue to be in prayer for Ukraine. And there's something beautiful about the church unifying 
in prayer and believing, uh, 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 coming from a believing place in the storyline of God. Um, and I, so I just want to encourage you to do that. Look at our, our social uh, profiles, Ramp Church MCR, and you can see that prayer listed there. But if you've, if you've yet to come to our 930 prayer space, this is a good time to plug that. Um, if you want, like, if you want to go deeper in worship or in prayer, every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30, we have full band, it's worship, it's a time for you, for anybody, whoever's in the room to come up and just release the scripture or pray, lead, lead the room in that. And so if, if you come to 11 o'clock, which to me is, is certainly worth coming to, but you, you leave going, mm, I just wish there was a bit more, sometimes 9.30 is, is a great space to kind of scratch that itch. Amen? So this week we're talking about, and I'm, I'm gonna, I have uh, four different messages on relational nutrients, and this is one of them. Now Stacy's going to be preaching next week. She's going to be continuing this chapter. So I just want to encourage you to, to, to be sure to come back for that. But then after that, I'm going to be continuing on these relational nutrients. And I love this metaphor because um, one of the ideas from last week that I want to continue on is you need people. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, you need me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You need me. You need me. We see this in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So God breathed all of the cosmos into existence. All right? Some people are like, yeah, I really do need you. Those conversations keep going. God breathed the whole cosmos into existence, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then Genesis chapter 3 tells us what went wrong, essentially. But Genesis 1 and 2 shows us how when God created everything, he declared that it was good. And what, what, it, what it means by that is it's whole. It's, it's, the, it's, it's not missing or lacking something. There's, there is the potential and the realization of thriving and flourishing in all of creation. Now, um, it doesn't take a long, hard look to realize we don't live in that current world now, right? There are elements of beauty. There are elements of goodness. But there are also, there's also an unavoidable brokenness, right? Now, but the original creation, the story of God started with him creating an, a, a whole cosmos. Man, humanity, was, was, was put in a place that was perfectly suited for his thriving, the Garden of Eden, and he had unbroken fellowship with God. So they, the, the Bible uses kind of the, the idea of walking in the cool of the day. I love that because he's walking in an unhurried time with God. There was unbroken fellowship with God. So it's, it's wild. Man is in this place. He also has purpose. God, God said, work the garden. So there's purpose. He has relationship with God. He has um, relationship with, with the world around him. He has everything he needs. And then God looked at, at man's condition and he said this, it's not good that you are alone. And we realize through that that the first problem God solved is actually not the problem of sin, the, per, the first problem God solved is the problem of isolation. That you can have everything you need in life. In, in physically, you can have a great paycheck. You can have all the food you need on your table. You can even have a strong faith life with God. 
But if you don't have a restored life with, with one another, that place, you're not going to lead into thriving and flourishing. Because you were created with relational needs. And this is a countercultural storyline in the West because we are hyper-individualistic. And I don't have time to go into this. But sociologists tell us this is the most individualistic society in the history of the world. And one of the reasons is because... Um, because in the past, just to live, just to survive, you had to have somebody else just to get food on the table. But we don't live that way anymore. So, so we are now in a counter, it is countercultural to actually recognize I have to need, I, I do need, and I have to recognize I have a need. And then I will never be in a place of fruitfulness or flourishing unless I put around my life the things that I need. And unless I am that person for someone else. And I identified last week again what those five relationships are. But I want to talk about for, for the next four messages that I'm preaching in this series, what actually happens in those relationships? What do you actually give and what do you actually receive that leads you to life? I want to call them relational nutrients. What actually happens, and, and, and why, why am I going to do this? Not so we can be, have PhDs in learning how relationships work. But so that we as a community can step into healthy relationships. And I like to think of um, this, this game. Here's my, here's my illustration. Anybody ever played this game right here? So, you know, each person has one of these and you throw it back and forth. Um, the, this, is, this is great. This, this game is, of, of course, fun, but you, you can do some things to make it challenging. And I think it's a really great metaphor for oftentimes when we um, in relational in relationships. So I'm right-handed. So when I play this game, I put this on my left hand, and I, and I throw with my right hand, right? So I catch, throw. But oftentimes in relationships, this is communication. It can be my presence with somebody else. It could be my feedback or my, my challenging them. These are the kind of things that transpire in relationships. But oftentimes when I haven't developed the skills needed, it's like I'm throwing with my left hand. <laughs> or some of us, because all of us are at different stages of growth in our relationships, it's like trying to catch with, without any, any sort of apparatus. So in relationships, we get in, we get in these places where we're needing nutrients or I'm wanting to give nutrients, and I feel like I'm throwing things, but it's not being caught. Or maybe I have one hand tied behind my back. And it's like I want nutrients to, uh, but I don't even know the language to express what I'm trying to say. Or I, I realize that I need to bring some sort of vocal words to my emotions but I'm throwing with my left hand, or I'm just trying to kick, the, you know, what, whatever. I hope you're seeing the metaphor there. But we are all hardwired with the potential to give and receive the relational nutrients we need, but most of us have not taken the time to develop those skills. 
The first step is sin has at times broken that giving and sending apparatus in us, okay? But the next thing beyond that is it is a skill that you develop. You have the tools you need, but it's a skill you develop. And I want to read some scriptures that kind of show that everybody in here can learn this. Everybody in here can learn this. So let's, let's go to um, my first slide, which is 2 Peter chapter number 1. I love this chapter. And this, this, this is a promise that I just want to declare over all of you who are in a place where you're like, I want to step in to this place of relo- relational wholeness. God has given us everything we need. Does that set anybody else free? God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received, we're going right back into our worship set now today. Thank you, Lisa. We have received all of this, how we received it? By coming to know him. Can I tell you, you, every single person in this room, you can divide your life into two halves. If you've yet to come to know Christ, everything in your life is a divine orchestration to get you to that point. Everything. I know you see, you see the, the circumstances of pain. You see the circumstances of trial or even loss. As Maybe you see it as chaos. Maybe you see it as karma. Maybe you see, I'm not sure how you see it. But I want to tell you, all of those things can be part of God's divine story, weaving you to the place where your eyes and your heart are open to see and to receive the true nature of who God is. Christianity is not primarily a revelation on eternity. It's primarily a revelation on the character and the nature of God. Does that make sense? You've got to keep first things first. If you've already come to know God, it's a, then the rest of your life is about knowing him more and making him known to others. Two hats. So... But once you come to know him, you get to receive everything you need for living a godly life. The, God is the one who's called you to himself by means of his glory and his excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given you great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature, say nature, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Your translation may say sinful desires or evil nature, evil desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. We've just seen how God's promises and your effort coincide. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, Peter goes on to say, supplement your faith with all of this. That your faith life isn't enough. You have to supplement your faith with this journey of learning. So here's what I want to do. This is, this is the promise I want. If you leave here believing anything, this is what I want you to believe. You can learn to do relationships well. You can learn to do relationships well. And I know all of us have different starting points. Some of you had incredible loving homes. I've talked to people, there, there was a young adult in Ramp Church who said every single night when I went up to my room, on my pillow, my parents had written me a note. Every single night. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> He's, first of all, I'm like, 
I, I've never done anything like that for my kids. That's, that's like the first thing I felt. And then the second thing I felt is, man, how would my life have been different if, if I was like that? What, what, if that was my starting point for what relationships look like. And some, there are people in this room who you don't even know your biological parents. And that's your life story. And I want to tell you today, God is not judging you for the place you are. He realizes we have a starting point. And he's inviting us to learn and to receive from everything he has given us. That's what he's looking at. So I want you to leave here today convinced I can learn. I can learn. I can learn through the power of God, through his divine nature that's at work in me, through his promises, and through his power that's going to help me do this. So today I'm going to talk about four ways to be present for others. Four ways to be present for others. So, yeah, here's the principle. You can learn how to grow thriving relationships because of God's promises, nature, and power. My slides aren't up here, just to let you know, Clay. So, you can learn how to grow thriving relationships because of God's promises, nature, and power. I want you to leave with that reality. So, um, there's a quote, much of what I'm speaking on in this series is, is based on the work of Dr. John Townsend, who is a psychologist, but he's also a leadership coach. And so, I'm, I'm pulling from him, and I'm going to quote him several times. And here's one of his quotes right here. I hope this is the next slide. Hey, it is. All right. So, um, this, this is what he says about these these relational nutrients of being present with somebody. We know from neuroscience and from attachment research that a great deal of growth and health comes from simply communicating to each other that we are present with them. Have you heard it say before that, um, that, um, that actions are greater than words, right? Uh, to me, I like to think about these relational nutrients that I'm going to talk about today as presence are greater than words. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you just need someone to be there? It's like, please don't say anything. Definitely please don't give me advice. <laughs> okay? Just be there. That's, that's what John Townsend is talking about. Just letting them know using very few words that they're not alone causes endorphins to be released and the person can forge ahead in their challenges buoyed by the connection. By contrast, isolation is one of the most debilitating experiences we can have. Study after study has shown that, especially in times of stress, we lose focus, perseverance, and energy when we feel disconnected from others. So we're going to talk about the, relation, the relational nutrients of being present. What do we need in life? And how can we be people who are, who are really skillful at giving those, those nutrients? And the first nutrient I want to talk to you about is acceptance. Acceptance. And this is, this is, how, um, this is how I want to define acceptance. It's connection without judgment. It's connection without judgment. So I, I, it's, it's amazing. I, I can think back to um, different coffees I've had or meetings I've had with people who are in maybe a really challenging scenario in their life. And 
maybe it's a 45-minute, hour, hour-and-a-half-long coffee. We get done with the coffee, and most of the time was spent with me listening to the, the challenge that the person's going through. And we'll get done with that meeting, and then they say with just like such grat- like deep, genuine gratitude, thank you so much. Everything you said was just spot on. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking... I didn't say anything. (laughs) All I did was repeat back to you in different words what you said to me. What happened? What was happening there? There were relational nutrients that were being transferred. They had a need. And what they were receiving was acceptance. There was genuine connection. And if I would have stopped him about 10 minutes in going, okay, this, this is a problem. I can see what you're doing. Uh, I can see what you're dealing with here. But let me give you three points that are going to pull you through this challenge. They would not have left feeling, man, that was amazing. Thank you for your time. Because the relational nutrient they needed was not advice. The relational nutrient they needed was acceptance. We've got to be skilled in realizing when people are at the place where this is what they need. And we've got to be skilled at at being a person who can give that. I love this. How do we we have the power to actually do this? And it comes from um, Romans. These these still aren't working. So we can give it one more shot and and see see if it works. So Romans 15. We who are strong, I love this ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. There's so much in that that we could unpack. But essentially, this is, this is what Paul is, is, is advising his church in, in Rome. He's saying, you who, who are strong in an area, or maybe you're just in a season where you're strong, you need to, you need to, to, to bear with those who are weak and you don't do it to make yourself feel good. All right, you may feel strong, but this isn't about comparison. You have to realize the reason you're in a strong season or the reason you have that gift or the reason you have that ability or the reason you were raised that way is so you can then bear with those who are weak. That's why you have that abundance. That's why you have that prosperity of soul is to be able to come to those who are weak and you bear with their failings. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. It's a little mode of correction. To build them up. And how? How are we able to do that? For even Christ did not please himself. We're able to do that because we can look at a Savior who this was his MO. This is how he lived. He lived to not please himself. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Here's the thing I've learned about acceptance. It's easy to accept someone when we like them, when they succeed, and when we agree with them. But that is cheap acceptance. We have a different power that we're pulling from. Do you know what Romans 15 tells us? 
It doesn't say that when we were on God's best side, when we were living our best life, when I had it all together, when I was really the moral one in the room, when I had all the strength, when I was the leader, when I memorized Bible verses, Christ Jesus died for me. That's not what Romans 15 says. Romans 15 says, when I was a sinner, let me translate that into modern words, when I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. When there were things about my, my very character and my actions and my thoughts that stood in opposition to God's way, then he gave his life for me. Acceptance is not based on just our success or the way we agree with others. Acceptance makes a difference only when we provide it to a judged, condemned, or insecure part of a person. Have you ever been in that place where you know you were wrong and someone still accepted you and the freedom that that brought to you? Now, those of you that are standard bearers and you're like, I can't, but I got to tell them they're wrong. I just can't. Okay? That will come, and this, this, that's what this principle is about. Acceptance, it's not minimizing. So you're not refusing to see the truth. You don't have to approve or agree, but we all have to accept. Are you hearing me? We don't have to approve or agree, but we all have to accept. Can I tell you this? Acceptance is the starting point for every other relational nutrients. And, and in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about what does it mean to challenge other people? What does it mean to encourage other people? Um, what does it mean to, um, to, to call them higher? But if, if you don't start with acceptance, then nothing else you do or say or try is going to work. It's got to start here. It's got to start here. So acceptance isn't minimizing. It is, um, it, is, it is is simply embracing them. So what does that sound like in action? Well, I'm glad you asked because I gave you a little kind of quote here. You can write this down. Um, here's, this is the kind of language that acceptance says. I know you're beating yourself up over whatever it is. It's, it is an important concern. Or you, yeah, you did drop the ball. <laughs> that was a pretty real failure. You did fall short. But you and I are okay. Regardless. I'm not leaving. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. That's acceptance. It's a recognition. You're there for them. This is a being present relational nutrient. So the first relational nutrients, re relational nutrient is acceptance. The second relational nutrient is validation. Validation. I, I, is this too practical for you? You guys okay? You with me? Validation. So when, when, but beyond acceptance, there is a time when the relational nutrient we need to give or we need to receive is an expression of how someone else's experience matters. It's an expression of how someone else's experience matters. And it, it really involves two parts. The first part is you become aware of another person's emotional state. So I'm, I am a, a busy guy. Everybody's busy these days. That's like, that is like the tag word, right? How are you doing? I'm busy. But I, I, am, I keep myself busy, right? I, I, I just do that. If I, if I don't have anything to do, I make myself busy. Like, <laughs> so it's a self-imposed condition. And so sometimes I, I tell myself I'm moving too quick to do this. 
I'm moving too quick to stop and become aware of someone else's emotional state. But, but then I get frustrated when I'm living in the results of not giving that relationship the validation it needs. Are you hearing me? So it ends up costing me the time I wasn't willing to give it anyway. Instead, the being present nutrients are about recognizing someone else has a need for me to, to, to validate their experiences. So if the first step is you become aware of another person's emotional state. The second one is you respond to the other person in an empathetic way. This isn't rocket science. You respond in an empathetic way. You, you, you say things like, um, wow, that, that must be really tough. If I was in your shoes, I would feel exactly the same way. These are this is empathetic language. This is about being present um, with somebody else. Let, let's look at what invalidation looks like. It's the next. Oh, we're actually going to Matthew eleven twenty eight. All right, we'll go there instead. Um, then Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." This is one of my favorite verses. A, B. Um, Jesus is expressing feelings of, of, of uh, empathy. He's identifying what someone else is feeling. You're feeling weary. You're feeling burdened. Have you ever had a meeting with somebody and they were able to bring language to the thing you were feeling that you couldn't even bring language to yourself? That's when you know you've hit an empathetic vein. That's when you know there's a relational nutrients, nutrient being passed back and forth of weariness and burden, I'm, I'm identifying that in you. And then he says, what I'll do for you, I'll give you rest. But let me just start with a place of empathy. And then here's what invalidation looks like in our lives. Invalidation sounds like this. It's not that big of a deal. Don't you just love when somebody says that, when you like come to them with something like you're dealing with? And they're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You're overreacting. These really, all of these hurt me bad. Get over it. Ugh, these are so challenging. This, um, it wasn't that bad. Here's, this is the one, this is the one um, that hurts me the worst when I say this to others. Th those are your emotions, think logically. Because I'm very, I'm very let's, re let's rationalize this, okay? So these are stepping on my toes because I bring that, I have a tendency to bring that one all the time. I mean, like, you're overreacting. Let's think logically about this. If you really want a thriving relationship, use that phrase. <laughs> Why does that hurt so bad? What, 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 what's not happening there? We're, we're refusing to give a relational nutrient that the person needs to make it through this situation. And it's the relational nutrient of validation. You're not validating necessarily their decision or their direction in life, but you are validating the, th the challenge that they're going through and the experience, the way they're experiencing it. So let's not invalidate it. Just think about something else. <laughs> I know it's overwhelming, but just think about something else, right? It's, it's not what we need, is it? It's not what we need. And here's, here's what validation sounds like um, in action. I know you feel discouraged about fill in the blank. This is important. I think it's important. I want to hear about it. What are you doing? You're not just acknowledging the presence of the challenge or the emotion. You're acknowledging the intensity 
of the emotion or the challenge. Are you hearing me? And that, it's amazing, sometimes that validation alone creates the experience that I just mentioned a little while ago where, where they'll leave that exchange and they feel like, man, I've, I've got what it takes to handle this. Why? This is, this is, this is something so important um, in, this, in this study of relational nutrients because when someone else feels like you can handle their emotions, they feel like they can handle their emotions. You're hearing me. When someone feels like you can handle them, they feel like they can handle them. And all of a sudden, you validated an experience that they live with, and that's all they needed in that, in that time. Validation helps us pay attention to our experiences and make sense of them so that we can make good decisions about what's going on. It helps us, bring, it helps us make sense about the world around us. Uh, ignoring emotions does not make them go away. You ever tried it? It doesn't make them go away. But when someone else validates them, it, it allows us to handle them and to address them properly. So the second relational nutrient that's important for us as a community as we're journeying together in life is validation. The third relational nutrient is identification. And that's where, that's where you acknowledge that we share a similar story. Um, you know, this journey of church planning for Stacy and I uh, Ramp Church is four and a half years old, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So we will be five years old in October. And so Stacy and I have been in the UK. It will be seven years. Thank you, Sonia. Seven years in April. <laughs> Those people keep up with you and help you know <laughs> what's going on. So um, seven years in April, we'll be in the UK. And... Um, there are times, and I'm sure if you've started a business, if, if you have launched anything, if you've had kids, there's, there's so many different things that can fall in this category. At times, you feel like you're losing your mind, and you feel like, um, surely, out of everybody who's ever done this, I'm the only person who's lost their mind. And we'll meet with other people who have launched churches or launched communities and they start talking about their hardships and I feel this strange sense of satisfaction. <laughs> they start talking about issues that they've had in the past and I, and I start going, man, this is really encouraging. <laughs> Why is it encouraging to hear about someone else's issue or problem? Because you're receiving nutrients in your soul relationally from that exchange that, that you feel they identify with where I'm at and I'm not as different as I thought I was. So what does it do? You were, there, was something, there was something in you that was thinking, I'm going to be catapulted out of this situation because I don't have what it takes to live here. And I can look at someone further down the road with me who had that same issue and they're still around. That means I can do it too. That's what this relational nutrients is about. It's about seeing in someone else's situation what is it that they're dealing with. And then, actually, I have a story that I can identify with them. And I can share with them in that story. I love this. Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus himself lives this life of identification. For we don't have a high priest, that's Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, as you and I have, just as we are. Do you know one of the things that makes Jesus so beautiful? Is that there's nothing you can bring to him that he can't say, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Betrayal, been there. Yeah, lied about, been there. Offended, been there. Lost a parent, been there. Been there. What d- Desire companionship with somebody else, been there. There's nothing you can bring to him that he can't empathize with. He, has, he, he doesn't just get it conceptually. He gets it experientially. This is why the God of the Bible is so, is so beautiful and so compelling. Because everything you bring to him, he goes, I was there. I've been there. I know what it's like. And that gives us the strength to be able to do the same. Look at, look at, look what Dr. Townsend says about this. The power of identification comes from what is called normalization. Don't get lost in all these Asians. Normalization is the experience of realizing that you're not some strange, mutated being who is set off from the rest of humanity because of a flaw. Rather, you fit in with others. Oftentimes, when we're experiencing a challenge or a weight or a situation in life we feel like we can't get through, we just need someone to come around and go, been there, done it. And I know I'm a little bit weird, but I made it. <laughs> Here we are. I've, I've been on this journey before. I have, I've had the same questions. I've had the same challenges. I've had the, the same hang-ups. And here I am. What is that? It's identification. And our ability to do that comes from the fact that we know we serve a God who that is his condition. He is always in the place where he's empathizing with us, recognizing our needs. Can I give you a pro tip on this? A pro tip when you're in these, in, in these kinds of conversations. Don't identify for too long. Don't turn the conversation into your story. Does that make sense? Or what's going to happen is it's going to reverse and then the person's going to start, start going, oh man, that's really tough. When they start doing that, I mean, it's, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> this, is, this is turned the wrong way. Just go as long for them to recognize, I'm not a mutant. <laughs> I fit in. I can see myself in your story. You're recognizing you've had the same struggles too. And hey, I'm going to make it through this. That is, is, is identification. And the fourth, the final, final nutrient we're going to talk about today. Number four is, um, oh, let, let me, yeah, containment. We'll go here. Containment. And what is containment? Is a safe place for venting. A safe place for venting. And I want to talk to you about how to be a safe place for venting. Psychologists use this term to describe how to be aware of and hold on to or contain someone's strong and intense feelings without reacting to them. Look at this. This is important. It's the act of allowing another to vent the negatives they're feeling without, this is important, that word without is important, without becoming overwhelmed 
withdrawing or editing their narrative? That's a hard one for me. Because when I'm hearing a story, I'm seeing all the flaws in the story. They're telling me their emotions, their feelings, and they're venting, and I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness. If, if back there at the beginning of your story, if you had one perspective different, you would end up in a completely different conclusion. But keep going in your emotional rationality. <laughs> but if that's, the, if that's your internal posture towards where they are, then you are not a safe place. You've all of a sudden become an unsafe place for them to express those negative emotions. Because oftentimes negative emotions, it's kind of like a dump truck. You just back up, you just dump it up, and then you move on. But if they don't have any place to dump those emotions, then they carry them around. Are you with me? So containment is a safe place for venting. It's valuable for two reasons. Um, it helps you make more sense of things and make better decisions, and it helps you self-regulate. This goes back to what we talked about earlier. When you realize someone else can, un can, can handle my extreme emotions, I can handle my extreme emotions. When I can just dump on them and they're not moved, they're not overwhelmed, they, 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 don't, they don't withdraw from me, they don't try to edit my story, all of a sudden I get this confidence. Wow, they handled that. I guess I can handle this too. That's kind of the feeling. I love, the, the, the Bible even gives us a framework for this kind of communication. Look at, look at, it's all throughout Psalms, but I love this in Psalm 74. This is the psalmist venting to God. If God isn't your first place to vent, let me just tell you, you are missing out on life, okay? Because you were talking about venting to somebody who's not judging, that is the spot, okay? And this is what the psalmist is saying right here. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? You talk about yourself in the third person. <laughs> oh, God. Your anger is smoldering against your sheep. We're given no signs from God. No prophets are left. None of us knows how long this will be or this will last. This is a psalmist venting to God. But look, what, look where venting takes us. At some point, if we've done venting well, a but God comes in the picture. And that's what the psalmist says right here. But God, in the middle of all of these situations, this roaring, raging emotions that I don't even know how to handle, but God is my king from long ago. In other words, he's been with me the whole story. He brings salvation, not just on me, but on the earth. We have a relational need to be able to unload our emotions on someone who can handle the raging torrent. You need that. You, you need that from someone else, and you need to be that for someone else. It's about containment. Containment. Look at, look at this. Dr. Townsend says this. Containment doesn't take the right words as much as it requires you to be in a strong and stable place yourself. 
you will do others a great deal of good with it. And make sure you're being contained on a regular basis. It's good for your soul and your mind. For me, I'm not someone who is, I hope you can find yourself in my story. That's, that's the reason I keep bringing this back to myself. I'm not someone who's, who's always in tune with my emotions. I have to stop and think about how I feel. Someone can go, how, how, how are you feeling? I'm like, I haven't thought about it for weeks. But when I do, I'll let you know. So my answer is, I was, oh yeah, great, I'm good. So what I have to do is I have to create part of my silence and solitude time, part of my time with God, is, is allowing myself to, fe- to, to recognize the things I'm feeling I'm just not willing to recognize. Okay? And then the next step is in that space, I, there, are, there are times I need to process this with God, but I also need to process this with other people. It's healthy for me. So I write down words of emotions. Now, most of the time, our emotional vocabulary is very broad. How do you feel? Mad. How do you feel? Sad. How do you feel? Happy. But over time, the more you use this kind of language, the more you vent, the more you find safe places, you're going to get a lot more specific language. I just feel like I need, I'm just lacking, I'm just, just disrespected in this season. Well, what, what do you mean? What kind of, ah, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just lacking some sort of, sort of acknowledgement or uh, admiration in my heart. See how more specific those words are than I just feel disrespected. Okay, well, what is that? that? That happens through practicing this with others, that type of language, that type of understanding on what you need. And here's some language that you can use if you're the person who is containing. You're feeling a lot of intense feelings about fill in the blank. You're recognizing to them. I can see you're feeling a lot of intense feelings about this. I'm fine with that. Rage away. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on. I'm a safe place. Rage away. Some of you, this goes against your hard wiring. You're a fixer. So you want to fix things. Or you're a doer. So you want to you put action. Or you're very, you're, you're very uh, intellectual and so you're, or rational. And so you're trying to rationalize it. Or some of you are emotional. And so you, you take it from, from hardship into bitterness. Like you're taking them further. You're taking them too far. <laughs> like, oh, don't drive that car that far. I mean... <laughs> Danger cliff ahead, okay? We, we, can't all, we can't respond. If we're going to do this well, if we're going to do relationships well, Ramp Church, and we're, we're in a seasons of, of communities here, which is our small groups, our home churches, and we're, we're smack dab in the middle of that. And if you miss this season, stick around. We'll have another season starting uh, in a couple months. But we're right in the middle of that, and that means we have lives brushing up against each other and attitudes and preferences and perspectives, and, and there's going to be sparks that come from that. I hope there are. If, if you're doing life honestly, there's going to be conflict. And we've got to know what each other needs in those situations. And you can't just give the other person what you, what your default. You've got to be able to recognize where are they, what do they need, and how can I provide that for them. Um, Ramp Worship, would you come forward?